Thank you very much indeed, Holly. Uh, Martin Eriksson, University of Borås in Sweden. Uh, I am an associate professor of psychology uh, and I wrote my PhD thesis on possible selves. Uh, and I also, after that, continued doing empirical work on women with eating disorders and, and their possible selves. Uh, and I also had a, an, an interest in the concept all the way through. Uh, which I think will be reflected here today. Uh, what I will talk about today is, is possibilities and challenges when we adopt the possible self model to study what we, for the time being, can call student motivation in higher education. Um, I might use the concept challenges throughout the presentation, but it's just as much about possibilities and, and potentials in this model. Uh, but as I said this in, in a motivational context, I just wanted to talk first about a bit what, the, what we can use with the student con concept of student motivation, because that's such a concept that we use in an everyday way, and I think we should be a bit careful with it. First of all, motivation covers quite a lot of things. It covers what makes us active in the first place. It covers what makes us select a particular behavior or, or what makes us uphold the behavior, what's dealing with, with, with achievements and strivings. Um, no motivation theory, I think, co covers all of these three aspects. And the first of them might be of more of historical interest today, at least in psychology in general, might be psychobiology, still an interest in it. So motivational theories tend to focus on one or two of these. But it's still, I think we can say that there is little left of psychology outside these three bullet points. So motivation is a very broad concept and as such it is at risk of covering almost everything and therefore saying very little. And it is discussed on every level of analysis, from neurological to cultural. Draw, drug uh, behavior, sexual behavior, on a psychobiological level, uh, to the cultural level, which where we see dimensions of possible <coughs> selves, for example. And in every theoretical tradition, of course, we're talking cognitive psychology today, but we have this in psychoanalysis as well, wherever we are looking. Motivation was big in behaviorism. And I think that almost every psychological theory can be adopted for discussing some aspect of motivation. And we can say that the word motivation as such, the concept of motivation as such, I think is the least interesting part of this motivation. So it's a mere question of how we ask questions, how we pose the problems, rather than talking about motivation. Motivation as a concept probably is a very good textbook chapter. I think that's a quote from Murray. I'm not, I've tried to find the source, but it's not my idea. Uh, but perhaps for little else. So we must make the limitations. We must ask particular research question pinning down what are we interested in. And say, okay, this is the aspect of motivation we are dealing with now. Now, would student motivation be such a limitation? No. 
Because if you think about it, student motivation covers so much, so many different processes, mechanisms, psychological structures. It covers the motivation to venture into higher education. It covers the motivational processes behind what course of study to pursue, what educational programs, where to study. Um, matters of, of persistence, resilience, uh, going through the actual student study program when engaged in it. And those are still only the long term <coughs> motivational processes. We have the everyday motivational processes, the motivation to actually speak in class, to go into an advanced theoretical model, to study perhaps in a foreign language, uh, which is from a Swedish perspective, almost every course has uh, English textbooks because we, there isn't much interest in Britain in Sweden. Uh, so, so there are so many different motivational processes shifting focus over a number of years so that student motivation as a concept is perhaps even less useful than motivation as such. Well, I think it can be a good heading for a book chapter, and that's hopefully what we will have in, <laughs> in the book that we eventually will come <coughs> up with. So I think that that also sets the, the context when I talk about possible substance in, in, in student motivation, that we must not forget the complexity of the psychological processes that with here. So even more important, perhaps, to have this distinct theoretical delimitations, have a particular questions about student motivation. And one such delimitation is offered by the model of possible selves. And that's the other way of expressing the purpose of my paper. What can we discuss in terms of possible selves? Um, and I will start with, with the concept of such. Going back to, to, to uh, the theoretical background of the concept of possible selves, which is found in social cognition. And in the tradition of social cognition, which is, is rather experimental, part of, of cognitive psychology, the cognitive processes about the cognitive structures dealing with social phenomena. We can also talk about social cognition in the term that in the sense that, that all cognitive processes have a social dimension. We can't imagine cognition without a social context. That's where I find myself theoretically. And, and I think that it's a modern, I think Hazel Marcus would find herself there today as well, as I guess. But, but this is it's more a traditional theory. Um, and it comes from schema theory. The ideas of cognitive schema are cognitive representations of generalized assumptions about situations, places, roles, personalities. And what, what Marcus argued is that the self is the front and center of a meaning-making process. When we approach the world, when we understand, see things, we filter this through who we are, what is relevant, what is the meaning of this 
phenomena we encounter for us as individuals. And this placing the self in the center of a meaning-making process is an important issue which we will return to in relation to possible selves. So in what possible selves does is giving a future-oriented temporal dimension to this process, because as I've been already mentioned here today, we see an interplay between who do I think I can be, maybe, will be, and who am I today? They define each other. So in this sense, we can talk about a self-concept, an idea of who I, whom I am, and possible selves are part of the self in that sense. Um, the original writing of, of Marcus Anurius from 86 and, and the number of other colleagues of, of Marcus and, and her doctoral students, I think mainly, Daphne Oysterman, Paul Anurius, uh, Anne Ruvolo, and others, um, they wrote in, 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 the, in the 80s and 90s <coughs> quite a number of papers. And, and one of my concerns was that, yes, they defined possible selves, but with a lot of room for interpretation. So, and I saw some possible consequences of this that I wasn't very happy with. So I, I, I tried to come up with a bit more narrow definition uh, from, published in, in, in 2007, originally from my, from my dissertation. Where I said possible selves are conceptions of ourselves in the future, including at least to some degree an experience of being an agent in a future situation. Where possible selves get a vital part of the meaning in interplay with the self-concept, which they in turn moderate, as well from the social and cultural context. So what I do here is not rewriting anything, really. It's an interpretation of the original works of Marcus Anurius. And, and, and Hazel Marcus said, yes, this is an interesting point, uh, where we had some emails about it. Uh, so agency is perhaps the explicit new part here. That's what's defined a possible self, not being just a hope or a fear. I can see myself acting or prevented from acting. I mean, agency can be about being restricted as an agent as well, which has been mentioned here earlier today. So possible selves are more than hopes and fears. They have this dimension of agency. But it's also more than just becoming something. We have a lot of possible selves, the possible selves of, of traveling home from here, from having dinner tonight, getting dressed in the morning tomorrow. We can all form those possible selves without necessarily being about becoming something or having a strong motivational contact. But if you focus on motivation, those possible selves about becoming are more important. Um, but not in a trivial way. And we will see that because the interesting part of the possible self is not it's not just about the goals we are striving for, but also about conceptions of ourselves being restricting us. And of course, possible selves doesn't have to be about motivation. The study of self in this is interesting enough, and that's where I started myself. Uh, motivation was an application, really, of what I did previously. So, possible selves must be seen in relation to personal meaning. It's idiosyncratic. One person's desires and ambitions are another person's fears, or another person's unknown, which might be where fears come from. 
and only the individuals themselves can define what is the desired, what is the feared. And I think this is interesting also because here we see that possible selves are very concrete and experiential level. When we talk about schema theory as, as, as cognitive representations, uh, it's a rather abstract cognitive structure which influence experience. Possible selves in this state are instead instantiations in experience. And, and therefore about experience meaning, which I think is, is a very interesting aspect of them in, in cognitive, <coughs> be, being part of cognitive psychology. Because cognitive psychology doesn't deal much with meaning. It might have the ambition to do so from the outset if we read, for example, Jerome Brunner, but it didn't take that way. The possible self is an exception, which also think it's a reason for why it's an alluring concept, for instance, for, instance, for, for, for sociologists. Um, we should not only talk about the end states of possible selves, those situational contents. If we want to discuss this in terms of motivation, we can see at least four dimensions important to relation to motivation. And the first is the emotional valence. I will talk more about that later. Um, we have the perceived probability, the re realism of possible selves. Is this something I think actually will happen, can happen? Which is also related to controllability. Can I influence this? So will this happen whether I like it or not? And we also have the dimension of availability or salience. To what extent are these conceptions easily available for me in my consciousness? And all these have been found empirically to be strongly related to motivation. I don't load these slides with literature references. Uh, these are combined findings from, another, from, from, from a number of, of different uh, classical studies of possible selves. Uh, so I just bring in uh, references where there is a particular study or where there's something I've written myself. Um, yes, Ericsson, of course. Uh, traditionally, possible selves are seen as positive or negative. Uh, either or, where desirable goals are positive valence, undesirable goals has a negative emotional valence. Um, I think that's an oversimplification, and I think that based on my own empirical research, where many possible selves can be assumed to have both positive and negative dimensions. And I can think, I mean, I was having breakfast at the hotel this morning, I was thinking about standing here making a presentation. Of course that was a positive event, dominating the positive. Um, being invited to talk about something I like, and then relation to, to, to fascinating book and, and, and meeting colleagues which I look forward to meet to but there was also of course some dimension of apprehension um, would I get awkward questions uh, <laughs> suppose no one turns up um, so not entirely positive there are both dimensions and that's the, the possible self of, of standing here presenting and that was done relating to other potential possible selves but the possible self of being asked these awkward questions or the possible self of on the other hand 
getting positive feedback. So, so we can say that this possible self of presenting got part of its meanings from other potential possible selves with a more clear emotional balance, which gave the possible self of presenting a mixed balance. And we, we found this in, 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 in empirical uh, material when we asked both students and also uh, women with, 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 with eating disorders to, to generate possible selves about the future and gave them the opportunity to rate both positive and negative values. About half, both for the clinical group and for the control groups, uh, had both had significant both positive and negative uh, emotional balance. Um, including for female with anorexia, uh, the possible self of uh, getting cured. There were negative aspects in getting cured because it was such a strong part. There's a, a, a lot, there's a lot of research confirming uh, the resistance to change in anorexia, but that was also found in this, in this group, which is making it a devastating and also fascinating point to study. So, there we have the basics of possible selves. Um, and I will, from this background, set out to discuss a number of dimensions where we can discuss student motivations, as such, if such can be found, to be studied on behalf of possible selves, to understand relations between positive and negative futures, understanding long-term striving, understanding social and cultural influence and motivation, understanding the relation between short-term strivings, long-term uh, short-term long-term strivings and short-term behavior, and supporting students and future students. And in this I will also move, I should say, from the particular to the more general and, and, and will base this discussion on a number of research findings and, and features of possible selves. Uh, so this is, will also be going deeper into the theory of possible selves. <coughs> so we start with the relation between positive and negative futures. Um, the theory of possible selves cover more than most motivational theorists because there is so much in this model that also talks about the working of the negative futures uh, the constrictions which makes it a very rich model compared to, to other cognitive model of motivation because other cognitive model of motivation are usually about perceived goals, uh, incent incentives, that is the, the alluring power of representations. But here we see a much more complex dimension. And that was, of course, uh, part of the original discussion of possible selves of, of, of Marcus and Nurius. They, they saw the connection between motivation and possible selves from the outset. It's not one of those theories that have been brought in into motivation discussions later, like uh, Rotus locus of control, for example, which was, was a personality theory from the beginning of really motivational theory. So, possible selves covers much more than just the side goals. It covers not only. You can see, for example, a situation where, where a person with only negative selves in a particular domain 
which will lead to inactivity, a lack of motivation. Uh, we can see that negative possible selves in the domain will make the individual feel more controlled by outside forces in that domain. And I mentioned Rotter's locus of control, which is about external control, internal control. Rotter saw these as a more global um, dimension. With possible selves place it more in a domain perspective. Because, and and that's, that's an interesting point, I think, we should keep in mind with possible selves. They are domain-specific to quite a high degree. Um, and we also have, and this is, 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 is really in line with, with a lot of research on, on the emotional effects on, on, on cognition, that negative information promotes more negative information and blocks out positive information. So if we have a lot of negative information in our possible selves, negative expectations, that will make other negative expectations more available. One of the interesting findings of possible selves, one of the main findings setting the, the scene, is what Oysemann and her colleagues called balanced possible selves. The study of, of uh, youth uh, delinquency is the English word, I think, yes. Um, where she find that, that positive possible selves to be really motivating, to have full motivational power, they need to be balanced by a negative possible, possible self in the same domain. <coughs> a negative possible self that was seen as realistic, but not as probable as the positive. And where the individual felt that, yes, I can control this. If I can strive for this, if I strive for this positive possible self, I can avoid this negative. And it feels realistic for me to do that. Um, And this leads to increased motivation, it leads to increased persistence, and, 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 and also to better performance. Um, and I think when we talk about eventually how to support students, this is, is, is one of the key issues. Can we help them create balanced possible selves? So, what can we see for relations, in, in challenges and possibilities here? I think there is room to develop further the understanding of mixed emotional balance. Uh, there is quite little done on this. It might be uh, a misconception even to see positive and negative emotions as opposing ends of the same continuum. It might be more uh, useful to see them as, as two separate systems. The reference to Godly and other is, is, is quite old. I'm sure there's been done a lot of work about this since, which I am not completely familiar with. But I think it's an interesting way of approaching possible selves. I think this distinction between positive and negative also sometimes are too crude. Because there is such a nuanced understanding we need uh, in the emotional mechanisms. In particular, when we talk about the complexity of student motivation. So perhaps we should try to, to develop more specific labels for emotional balance in relation to possible selves. And perhaps domain-specific such labels in, in, in relation to education. 
So, next theme. That's to understand the long-term strivings. And here, Cantorodile, uh, from the same year as, as, as the original Possible Selves paper, made a distinction between life tasks and possible selves. And I think that's an important distinction between because life tasks are the things that we are working on at a particular period in life. Becoming a parent, getting an education, doing a career, making a home. And these life tasks get their personal meaning for the individual through the possible selves relating to them. So what possible selves are evoked in relation to a life task? That's what connects the long-term life tasks with the particular possible selves. So life talks, that's through the possible selves that the life tasks get their motivational functions. And also the possible selves we have, the way we see each other in the future, makes the life tasks appear positive or negative. The ideas I have, what, about what, what would it mean to go to university? How do I see myself <coughs> at university? will most likely determine, is this a life task that is interesting to me? And here we have the meaning-making process that, that Marcus talked, that I mentioned the listener. The front and center of the meaning-making process, the self making us understand the way around us, including our possibilities. Um, and detail and readily available positive and probable possible selves accentuate discrepancies between the present and the present and the hope for futures, enhancing motivation. This is also an aspect. The better, the more detailed our possible selves is, the more information do we have when we compare the future with. The now. What, what I think is an important challenge here, and, 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 and I am the first one to, to see these problems in my own data, in my own research, that is to what extent can we actually distinguish possible selves in our data, and to what extent are we talking about life tasks. Um, when we ask students to generate possible selves themselves, is it really possible self they describe, or do they describe life tasks? Um, it's a matter of giving the right instructions, it's a matter of making our participants understanding the kind of conceptions we offer. And when I look at the data I, I, I have with self-generated conceptions of the future, I can say, okay, yes, there must be possible selves associated with this, but this text, this probably describes the life task, not the possible selves. And there are similar problems when we, when we, give, when we generate lists of possible selves. Uh, so mentioned uh, Marcus Anurius' Venturi. Uh, first of all, do we make them specific enough to actually be possible selves? On the other hand, are they so specific that 
people do not actually feel they're being impossible selves because their possible self is a bit in the same domain but framed differently. Um, and to what extent do we provoke our participants into creating possible selves when presenting these lists? That's another aspect of it. But the relation between life task possible selves I think is particularly important to have in mind when we let our students generate possible selves or where we infer possible selves from some kind of uh, data material. One of the interesting parts of, of the possible self theory is um, the social and cultural influence, where possible selves are shaped in social interaction with others, peers, parents, teachers. And in these interactions, the validity of the possible selves are confirmed or undermined. So it's part of the interpretation, the own interpretation of the self shaping them. And word from Marcus wrote, to foster personal growth, possible selves need to be expressed. They gain confirmation or validation when the person takes some action or make some statement to the world. So it's, it's a very social process. And this also makes possible selves vulnerable because being dreams and aspirations they can't be they are less established than the here and I self so an attack on possible selves that are important that really define who we want to be can be very provocative and and perhaps for someone in in the process of selecting a course really influential. So in the process that we are someone defining ourselves as someone moving into a new future, an attack of the possible selves can be equally an attack of the self. And then it will be an, 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 an extra devastating. Fear of, of, of criticism, fear of commitment can, on the other hand, therefore also be a reason to hold back possible selves from, from exposure. But as we saw, possible selves need to be in a process where they are developed with the help of others. Possible selves also provide, and this is interesting, they provide a future social context. We have the, the social context of today, where we shape our possible selves. But in the experience of a possible self, in this end state, this situational context, there is also a future social context. And this also adds to the meaning of possible selves. Uh, Marcus Anurio suggested that this could be a particular kind of possible selves, but are labelled contextual possible selves. I think that's an oversimplification. I think that we can see that this kind of future social context is found in every possible self, but probably with different 
uh, influential power. And when we see this future, con future, future social uh, context, it's also interesting to consider the, the fear of power, uh, the, 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 the fear of failure, the power of the fear of failure. To see oneself failure in the future in the eyes of those in the future social context. If we come to challenges and possibilities here, I think there is a lot more to be done with the concept of possible others. For the possible others are those who inhibit those possible selves, those who form these future social contexts. The, the, the concept possible others have been used in the literature in relation to possible selves. So with the concept of possible selves invite the concept of possible futures. Possible others, but I think much more can be done about it. I think it's, it's expected actions and attitudes of those future persons. It could be new acquaintances. It could be those who they bring with them from today. Are those persons there in the possible selves? What are they doing? What are they saying? How are they reacting? Or isn't they there? Is there something missing in the possible self when some, some significant persons are missing? What happens to a possible self if we introduce new others? If you talk in terms of supporting students. I think this is an, 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 an really an, an fascinating dimension. Um, where I think we can, can see, actually, the effects of cultural structures also. Who is there taking part in this future, who is not? So, long-term striving, short-term behavior. Um, these salient, these available possible selves relating to successful academic studies give structure to individual behavior. And such possible selves leads to more active approaches to studies, resulting in higher assessment scores, better grades, and number of stu studies showing this. Um, Marcus Anurius saw possible selves to offer opportunities. And, and in, in our terms, we can say, yes, a student who suddenly gets a free afternoon is that an opportunity to, to, to sleep on the sofa, or is that an opportunity to study, put in some extra hours of study? And that is determined by possible selves, or the lack of possible selves. Um, Oyserman and her colleagues uh, adopted the metaphor of the roadmap describing how possible selves provide a link between now and the future. And this roadmap shows the behavior that it takes to realize the possible self. And since we then, through the roadmap, can get a feeling of what do I have to do, this is also a basis for determining the probability of the possible self. Because we see what it takes actually get there and can determine will I do that, can I do that, do I want to do that. 
And here you also see a close relation between possible selves and Albert Bandura's concept of self-efficacy, my belief in my own ability in a particular domain, domain-specific, just as possible selves. This connection was also mentioned by Marcus Anubis in, 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 I think, the original paper. So, what are the long-term strivings? What are the challenges of the long-term striving, short-term behavior? Um, I think we, there, is, there is room to further explore these relations between short-term, long-term possible selves, the roadmaps, and the pros of cons of seeing them at narratives, because the, na the concept of narratives comes up regularly with possible selves, so I have done so for the last 30 years. But to actually see how does the various features of possible selves help us understand the narrative. There's, there's much to be done there. Going back to these motivational dimensions of, of valence, controllability, probability, salience, and see how do they work in the narrative structure. Then, then I think we can come closer to, to a better understanding. And perhaps also we can see some cons of the, the narrative model. And what are the rules of agency? In such narratives. And I also think we can further explicate the relation between possible selves and self-efficacy. I think there can be more to be done that uh, in understanding the motivational, the long-term motivational working on self-efficacy. And there is so, so much empirical work done on self-efficacy that I think it's possible to draw on. So we are on to the last issue of supporting students and future students. And I think we first should say, if we want to support students, we want to have an idea of the purpose of higher education. Uh, what do we want them to achieve? We can't go on supporting students without having a goal for them. So what's the purposes? What should the students be motivated to achieve? And that is an ideological issue. Of course it is. As is every discussion of, of, of quality in higher education, we can't ask, discuss that without ideological standpoints either. Um, I will just make some very few references to the possibilities to change possible selves. There is a, quite a lot of work done with it. Um, but I will just show that it has been done and then go on to the challenges. Cross and Marcus said the more vivid and elaborate the possible selves that we can that can be created in preparation for the performance, the better the performance. Because many of the routines required for the performance are already engaged through the processes of anticipation and simulation. The idea of working with these possible selves, creating these futures, elaborating these futures, is a preparation enhancing the performance. It's not a simple process. There are, uh, I lost the, no, I think this is Oyserman as well. We can have a lot of, of ideas about future, positive future, trying to impose them on, on, on our youth in, in high school or, or, or even earlier. I think there was a British student study right quite recently that said that, that if we wanted the students to have clear goals of higher education that have to be established in them before their teens. I saw a reference to that quite recently. I know, don't know if someone is familiar with that study. 
Um, I haven't brought the reference here, but but eight, nine, ten years gave them a realistic idea that this is a possible future for you. When they are 15, 16, 17, it's much more difficult. So those possible selves can, can actually block positive strivings, make this well-meaning parent or teacher seem out of touch, doesn't understand anything what it's like to be young today. <clears throat> and I think this can be an interesting empirical case for, for mixed valence of possible selves. Um, also, Manatel had a very interesting study where, where they had used creating and elaborating academic possible selves in group discussions. And they engaged also adults in this community. And where the, the adults in the community supported the youth to understand how they viewed their possible futures. And the youth trained to obtain support from the adults in this process. Uh, I don't have a year, I think it's 2004. Uh, I will come up with that if someone's interesting. So, uh, supporting students and future students. Prospective students need possible selves also about being admitted to university, not about students and graduation. I think it's an interesting finding. It's the wholeness we must support. And if we're talking about widening participation, students need to have possible selves about keeping contact with their own background. Being part of their own self, not just creating some new person out of others' standards. It's about creating standards with a relating back to their own background. So, possibilities and challenges. I think it is interesting to, to think in terms of, of supporting, developing possible selves relating to a wide set of purposes of higher education. There is a tendency, at least in Sweden, to talk about employability and future career. The purpose of higher education goes further than that. We can talk about European standards and guidelines of, of, of quality in higher education. I was in the workshop on Vienna last week on that, where personal development and, and active citizenship is just as important as employability. And perhaps in these days, some might say that the active citizenship might be even more important. Um, being in England today, of course, Newman's cultivation of mind uh, which I think is what we today, to a large degree, talk about in terms of critical thinking. That's my interpretation of it. Anyway. And of course we have to understand what are the modern students' views of the purposes of higher education. How can we relate to that? I think the challenge is to support by linking possible selves in different domains. Career, university, life before university, see these keeping together and perhaps in this sense also promoting a feeling of agency. Um, summarizing this I should say supporting the development of possible selves relating to curiosity, relating to openness for new ideas, supporting the development of possible selves that can help students to leave their comfort zones 
Then we can say what are the comfort zones and who are supposed to leave them. But that's also the geological matter. But I think still it's an interesting way of looking at possible self-supporting students. And perhaps we should support the development of possible selves and academic staff in relation to responsibility, students' responsibility. And perhaps even try some reflexivity in relation to our own possible selves, where students are possible others. Thank you.